I'm not sure if you notice this, so I just want to point this out, that every week in the front of your bulletin, here, we put the lectionary scriptures for the day, for that Sunday up there. Um, And over the course of the next several weeks, until we get to Pentecost, you're going to see all of those scriptures except the psalm be listed in our bulletin, because I'm going to be picking from... First Peter text from Acts and from Luke and John um, to bring the sermons. So I would really strongly advise you, even though we're only going to read one of them on a Sunday morning, and today it's Luke, Keith, um, please go back at some point and read all three of the scriptures and even all four of them if you're so inclined, because I think it's very helpful uh, they're giving us in this a whole a picture of a whole section of a book for us to pay attention to. Um, and that today brings us to what's often called the road to Emmaus story in Luke, the 24th chapter, starting at the 13th verse. And it's going to say, now on that same day, two of them. So the same day is the day that Mary Magdala goes to the tomb and discovers that Jesus has indeed risen. And two of them are two of Jesus' disciples. So now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Now our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? 
And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? At that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. some of y'all remember um, Charlie Hare. He was a fixture in this church for a very long time, was a a, a colonel in the U.S. Army and uh, served admirably in Korea and Vietnam. Um, His daughter Jane is here, often here and is a deacon in this church now. And and that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Charlie's brother, John who was, is one of the world's great characters. John Hare taught across the hallway from Mary Harley for over 25 years. They were buddies. They were pranksters. They were jokesters. They knew each other well. And John Hare literally has known me all my life. And when Charlie died, I was looking forward to seeing John. And so he came and we were over at Kepner's and his his hearing was gone even when I was a kid and his eyes are going now too. So he was walking out of the room and I was walking toward him and the person with him nudged him and said, that's Erica. And he went, Erica, it's you. I said, yeah. And he goes, Ben, you got fat. <laughs> and I will admit that I, 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 I do weigh a little bit more now than I did when I was in the seventh grade. Anybody in this room besides Karen DiOrio weigh more than they did in the seventh grade? <laughs> I thought to myself, you know, I mean, like some people would have been really insulted by that. I was not insulted by that at all because I knew what was happening. He had put me in a box. 
And time had stopped for him in my life at about seventh grade. That's who he expected to see. That's who he knew. That's all the farther he could go with me. Put me in this box and he locked me in and there I stayed, in his mind at least. And I think in this story on the road to Emmaus, that's exactly what the disciples were doing. Now let's give them a little bit of a break because nobody in the history of the world had, had ever died and risen again. Prior to Jesus. And so it's fair to say they weren't expecting that to happen. But what kind of box had they put God in that they weren't expecting that to happen? This the story is interesting. Because as Jesus is unveiling the scriptures to them, their hearts burn within them. And you know, this is a Methodist phrase, our hearts burn within us. Wesley talks about that all the time. Is your heart strangely warm? And I have a colleague who converted from Methodism to Presbyterianism, and she says, I had to stop being with the Methodists because my heart got strangely cool. (laughs) something's happening with these people as Jesus is telling the stories of the scripture to them they're hearing something anew the box that they've put God in is not going to last for long if they don't pay attention So one of the things I could ask you today is, how long has it been since your heart burned within you with passion for God? Hmm. I'm finding myself lately in sermons saying to you, give yourself a break. Have you heard that a few times from me this recently? Give yourself a break. If you're one of those people whose passion is not burning within you for God, give yourself a break. But think about the box you put God in. The disciples themselves put God in a box. There are four times in the Gospel of Matthew when it says, when Jesus says to them, Oh, you of little faith. Little faith, little faith. What are you doing? You've put me in a box. You don't have enough faith to get me out of the box to realize how great I am. One of them is when they're worried about clothing and food. And Jesus responds and says, But if God clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven will he not much more clothe you you of little faith it 
Jesus trying to say God's abundance is great and you've missed it because you put me in a box. You think you can only get this much from me and I want to give you everything possible. Then of course the disciples are on the sea in the midst of a storm and they're frightened and they wake Jesus up because he's not frightened. He's asleep. And they say, we're perishing. Help us. What are we going to do? And he says to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Why are you afraid? You think I can give you this much. I want to give you this much. Peter is on the waves, on the water, once again in a storm. And understand that these fishermen know how dangerous storms are. Fishermen died in storms all the time in this era. Peter panics and Jesus rebukes him for his little faith because he doubts Jesus' ability to master the wind and the water. And then finally, they have no bread, the disciples. They're anxious. They don't know what to do. They can't make a connection, though, between how they live now with Jesus And what they've seen about Jesus. They have seen Jesus do two different miracles with loaves of bread and fish where he's fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people and they're worried that he can't take care of the 12 of them. Little faith. They need this much. God wants to give them this much. But somehow they've made a decision that this is the box God has to be in. And God can't get out of the box. Does that make any sense? There's a great book. I think it's J.B. Phillips. It's called Your God is Too Small. We've made God too small. We want to control God somehow, tame God somehow, have a handle on God. That's not who God is. God will become very, very small if that's how you try to live. There is this great exchange in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia book where the children, you know, who are the protagonists of the story haven't seen Aslan, the Christ figure in that story for quite a while. And he shows up and the youngest character says, Oh, Aslan, you're much bigger now. 
And he says, no, I'm not bigger. You've just grown. When we grow, we can let God out of that box and see how big God really is. I did two funerals this week. I don't ever, I've only done that one other time in 25 years of ministry. It is no fun, it is exhausting. And both of them were young people, and both of them were very unexpected. One a 49-year-old, one a 60-year-old. And both groups of people, particularly the first one, were people that I knew were not particularly churched. And so I was careful about how to present what I was presenting and careful about what I said to them. One of the things I was clear to say was because of the circumstances under which these people died, I'm mad. And if Bob Mead were here, he'd say, People don't, oh, Bob is, is it Bob back there? Yeah. He'll say, People don't get mad, they get angry. Well, I'm mad. I'm downright mad because this is not fair. It was not right. And I said to the people there, get mad, be mad, then get over it. But understand that God is big enough to handle your mad. Only if you have a relationship with God, only if your heart is burning within you, only if you dig deeper and deeper than the limits of your own mind, can you see that God is bigger than you ever imagined? When we grow, God comes out of the box and is bigger. (laughs) And God can handle your mad and your shame and your guilt and your lack of forgiveness. And when you let God do that, God gets bigger because God becomes real and you have a real relationship with God. Great, great Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann has a book that has is been around forever and it's still used as a primer for people to learn how to do ministry and leadership in ministry. It's called Prophetic Imagination. And in that book, he says, we ought to have the imagination of the prophets to look to people and say, God is so big, you can't even imagine how big God is. And one day when he was lecturing on prophetic imagination, he had a tongue slip up. He called it pathetic imagination. That's the question for today.
You want to live in relationship with God as a people who have prophetic imagination? Or is your imagination pathetic? I hope you choose to let God out of the box. To have the imagination of the prophets. To be embraced by a God who is so great we can't even imagine. Thanks be to God. Amen.